Hello, parents, and welcome to today's episode. Today, I interview Laura Goldstein, who is a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist in Maryland. She, amongst other things, is the founder of TheraCourses, which we'll talk about more in part two. Laura is trained in DBT. She does individual therapy, parent coaching, family therapy. She also works with couples because she's also been trained in the Gottman Couples Method. She is a font of information, and I'm so excited to have her today. Do you ever wonder what kind of therapist you or your child or your family may need? Because Laura explains the difference between an LMFT, an MSW, LMHC, psychiatrists, psychologists. I thought that was so helpful. And also, Laura talks with me about how parents can make the shift to becoming part of their family's solution. Please enjoy my interview with Laura. I know I did. Thank you so much. Hello, and welcome to Parenting Post-Wilderness, your guide to parenting struggling teens. I'm your host, Beth Hillman, a mom of five boys, including a post-wilderness teen and a life coach for parents. I will guide you on how to influence lasting change by first understanding the relationship-changing power of focusing on your own behavior instead of futile attempts to control your teens. Parents, the change begins with us. So excited to have Laura with us today. Hi, Laura. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, my goodness. I have been very much looking forward to interviewing you because you are a marriage and family therapist. I know so many of my listeners could use you in your back, you know, in their back pocket 24 <laughs> 7, right? <laughs> I might be biased, but I think marriage and family therapy is the best type of therapy, but also there's the fewest of us. But, you know, I'm, I'm not biased at all. <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, that just brings up something really quickly. Could you help in 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 few words as possible, I guess, the difference between an LMFT, which is a marriage and family therapist, and like a social worker, MSW versus a yeah. psychologist and a psychiatrist? Can you just Oh, man, totally. That is yeah. not known to the to the lame person, right? We just Yeah. I've given, I've given talks about this in like colleges because when somebody wants to go into counseling, they don't understand all the different paths that, that are options. So I like to think of the, so practically speaking, a marriage and family therapist, a professional counselor, and a clinical social worker can all do the same type of work in terms of meeting with clients to help them in the long term meet their goals. The education behind it comes from a, a bit of a different context. So for marriage and family therapy, you're learning the context of an individual within the realm of relationships in their life, including their family of origin, including their current romantic relationships, including friendship relationships. And so all of the education about one's mental health is framed within the context of relationships. Social work is all of the aspects of someone's individual mental health is framed within the context of society and society's strengths and weaknesses, society's um, obstacles, societal systems, all of that sort of a little bit of a bigger scale of systems and not just the system of your immediate family, but still like social society in and of itself. So a lot of people who like social work really enjoy a blend of sociology and psychology because there is the both in the learning atmosphere. And then professional counseling is training that really focuses more on like just the individual, like individual psychology, individual mental health. And 
like there's not a ton of context to it other than like, how do we help somebody get from point A to point B? And practically any three of those licensures could do the same type of work where I think it makes a big difference is what are the specialized trainings that somebody is getting after they go to grad school? Because you could be trained in you know, Gottman's couples counseling as a social worker and still do really great marriage therapy because you have that training. And you could be an MFT as a marriage and family therapist and have no training in couples work, even though your education was within the context of relationships. So for me, it largely is about what you're learning in your like continuing education world in terms of what you're able to apply clinically. But all three of those licensures can hypothetically do counseling. Oh, so helpful. Well, and then the other piece is what you said is like psychologists or psychiatrists. And so psychiatry is doctors who go to med school to look at the medical piece that is related to mental health. So the chemicals that are happening within the neurotransmitters, the hormones, the what is happening within the actual brain and body. And they go to med school for their four years, they do residency, and then they are prescribers. So if you want medication management, you have to go to a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner who specializes in psychiatry. Some psychiatrists also do counseling too. Some psychiatrists just do med management. And then psychologists tend to be the people who do a lot of research and or are trained in the like a very thorough scope of assessment in order to really identify like what is at play, but aren't necessarily trained to treat what's at play. So, you know, if you're getting a neuropsych eval um, for, you know, cognitive evaluation, your learning style, your social style, you know, any type of diagnostic report or what you might need for accommodations, that type of like thorough, thorough assessment and report is going to be done by a psychologist. But more likely than not, they're not going to be the person continuing on with treatment because they do the thorough assessment and some research, but very rarely do they do ongoing counseling. Sometimes, just not often. Right. Oh gosh, that was so helpful. I I think as quote or I guess a recommendation then to parents is really do your research and mm-hmm. in who you're hiring to be your therapist. I yeah. mean that's pretty fair, right? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because even though they might have a degree in 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 something specific, you're going to maybe want to ask them or do some research in what other continuing education they've done because right. like you said, maybe they've they've re- you know got the Gottman Institute certification or or whatever in addition and, and yeah. who do they normally work with and all that, right? Yeah. I mean, my my bias and a little bit of my bugaboo is that there are people who will provide either couples counseling or family therapy without having a really solid background. And what winds up happening is it's kind of like doing an individual session in a room with an audience. And then like, for a couple of minutes, one person is the individual who's in the hot seat. And then for another couple of minutes, the other individuals in the room in the hot seat. And that's not truly like systemic work. And it just takes a level of training in that. And so I, I really value when people say they're 
doing family therapy, that they're able to back it up with either their master's degree education or some specific types of training afterwards. Because true family therapy, the relationship itself is the client, not any of the individuals in the room, which is a whole different type of approach in terms of intervention, in terms, (laughs) yeah, the way you communicate is different. Like, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with a family, if I'm having something about scheduling, every single person in the family is on that scheduling email because every single person in the relationship gets to say if that time works or doesn't work for them. And no one person should be responsible for the mental load of having to coordinate and remember like every single person who's in the relationship is the client. They're all on my email. Um, And it's like things like that, that just are unique to marriage and family therapists that I just, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but there are a lot of people who say they do family work and they're not trained to do family work. They're not, they're not conceptualizing it within the same ways that a trained marriage and family therapist might. Yeah. Oh, I think that's fair. And, and I think any education, just the last few minutes of what you've said has been so helpful. I, I think because Parents are coming into this situation with their struggling kiddo from a, a very, mostly a very uneducated mm-hmm. um, and high stress position. And so yeah. to even have one more thing to have to do, like find the right therapist is very yeah. hard on families. And totally. so, and of course, depending on where you live, um, depending what kind of access, what kind of financial yeah. position you're in, and all of that plays into the role of how much help you can get. Yeah. And it, it just becomes a very high stress thing to try to find just the right, not only the right maybe degree, but the right person, because especially if you're looking for, um, I mean, I guess a marriage and family therapist would be the whole family would be getting therapy, Mm -hmm. not just the kiddo or whatever. So, um, and and don't get me wrong. Like there, like I still can provide individual therapy, but even when I am providing individual therapy, I'm still conceptualizing that human within the context of their relationships, both family of origin and present relationships. So, I mean, like everything that you talk about, about how hard it is to find the right provider, it's so hard for any number of reasons, let alone just like when you are in a place of distress, trying to like keep all of the pieces together is really hard. And then like in some capacities, like sometimes you're up to whatever certain programs have to offer. And there's just, there's a workforce shortage across the board in outpatient therapy in higher levels of care. And so it just, it's, it's hard to get every need met perfectly all the time. And like, there's almost like a, a like a weighing of like, is this going to work for now? And if it's going to work for now, this might be better than nothing. Or is what we need like a really, really comprehensive family-based approach, in which case I'm going to prioritize that over maybe some of the other things that might be otherwise available. It's just weighing pros and cons. And the reality is, is there is no one right answer. And like, it just is hard to find the perfect thing because there, it, it's just such a workforce shortage. And yeah, Ryan um, Anderson at NatsApp from Telos, yes. he gave a whole training on how like there are, there's a, a significant lack of family therapists that are available who are well-trained. And part of that is because like the industry of marriage and family therapy, like the master's degree and path towards licensure is way harder. It, it doesn't, you know, reciprocate from state to state as easy, as easily as some of the others do. And it just, it's harder to get into the industry. And yet 
by and large, we're doing the same thing that counselors and social workers are doing, but we are kind of looked at as like a redheaded step sibling, if you will. And yet like, it's so valuable and there are so few of us. And so it's like, how do we bolster the training of the people who aren't MFT so that they can do just as comprehensive of a job as what we're doing? And his whole training on it was great. It's also part of the reason why I did create their courses is knowing that the family work is so important. And I know I might be skipping ahead, but knowing that that the family work is so important and that there are so few people out there. And when you find a good one, they might be on a wait list or they might only have availability at one in the afternoon, or it might be $300 an hour, which is just outrageous for ongoing therapy that like their courses then provides an option for the fact that this is a hard thing to find. Yes. So let's get back to that for sure. We're just going to put a pin yeah. in that for just a sec. Totally. I was actually at that training that, that oh, Ryan yeah. did. <laughs> and that I was learned... before we became friends because I was. I was. That's right. That's so fun. So I learned, and I learned so much um, at his workshop that I, I was floored, which is another reason why I thought, oh, this is something that you could share to, to my audience yeah. with. Um, and one of, my, one of the biggest ob- obstacles I think families face or parents face is when their child starts showing maladaptive behaviors. It does, I would, I'm just going to say most of the time, it doesn't, they don't clue into, oh, I have a part to play. They just clue into my kiddo's suicidal or my kiddo is on drugs or my kiddo's never coming home or they're running away or they're screaming at me or whatever it is. And they just mm-hmm. see the child as the problem. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that it's a family issue, right? That we mm-hmm. that none of us are growing up in silos. That we we have these right. family constructs, and and um and so they don't. I don't think they necessarily even consider. Oh, we need a, a marriage and family therapist because um, I'm part of I'm part of the problem here. It, mm-hmm. it literally did not cross my mind until a certain point where I had I had done some education and gone to some seminars and started reading books, and it was like. Totally. A big gong on my head. It was like, gong. Yeah. And I was like, well, no, what? To, yeah. I mean, look, no, the way you phrased it, like, it's, I think, what a lot of parents feel is like they're part of the problem and no one wants to feel like they're part of the problem. And I will not say across the board that parents are always part of the problem, although sometimes it might be the case, but parents are always, 100,000% of the time, part of the solution, no matter what. Well, like, I, and, I do like to say that. Once you, so I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just going to say, no, you're good. I like, and of course I'm a parent, so I feel like I can actually speak for parents when I say, once I realized I was part of the problem, that doesn't mean I was giving my child drugs for Pete's sake, because I was not, but I was doing other things. I was yelling. I was triggering him. I was um, unwilling to listen to his side. I I was not available to him emotionally. There were so many Mm -hmm. things that were a quote problem. And Mm -hmm. once I started to really own and even just be able to be curious, okay, well, what part am I playing here? What what could I be changing and shifting and doing different? And then I realized, well, if I am willing to admit I'm part of the problem, well, then I can be part of the solution. So to me, it was like, it it seemed to go hand in hand. So I think my question for you, if I can like flip this interview is, how did you <laughs> shift? And maybe maybe your audience has already heard this story before, but like, how did you shift from a resistance to seeing that to being willing to see it? Because my experience is that like, yes, it is often the case that a parent is part of the problem and also needs to shift. But when somebody is told that they're part of the problem, that is a recipe for resistance. And that is not going to help 
welcome somebody into the vulnerability of seeing that, that's going to create defensiveness and like, I don't want to see this. And so that's why I kind of say like, sometimes parents are part of the problem. And in the back of my mind, I think to myself, very often that's the case. (laughs) But no matter what, you're definitely part of the solution. And like, I I often talk about, well, sorry, I asked you a question. ADHD, focus. All right. Do you want to answer that question or has your audience already heard? Well, I'll answer it in in another, I I won't tell the same story. I'll I'll actually tell a different story, which all had to do with it. And I'll keep it very brief. But after I'd been to the parent seminar where my son went to wilderness and, and I had had that initial, wait a second, I have been telling my at my child and talking at my child for so long. I, I don't even, I, I was not listening at all. That was one mm-hmm. of my first realizations that I was willing to admit. Mm-hmm. Like I had been lecturing basically. Mm-hmm. And so what happened, I was like, okay, okay, okay. But when he came home from wilderness, which he did most, I think most of my listeners know that we actually brought our son straight home from wilderness and kept him under lock and key until we could move him, <laughs> which was very within days. But, um, he, we, we ran into a situation pretty quickly where he wanted to drive somewhere by himself. I was like, absolutely not because, because of obvious reasons and all these things. And mm-hmm. he actually was uh, more emotionally regulated than me, um, was using his tools, mm-hmm. um, said, Hey, how about I just bring my brother with me? He had, he was actually solving more than me because I was completely freaked out. And that mm-hmm. was one of those moments where I thought, Oh my God, my son has moved on mm-hmm. and I have stayed the same. My son has learned how to, re- I'm, like, I'm getting chills right now, but that was one yeah. of those moments of, and, and if anybody had told me I was at the problem, you're right. I would have gotten completely defensive and I would have been like, oh yeah, you know, but right. this was that self moment of, and I literally, and, and I know that pe- pe- parents will say that, will say my, my kiddo learned tools and wilderness that I don't even understand. And that's exactly mm-hmm. how I felt. So that was one of those those doors that opened up to mm-hmm. me really being willing yeah. to start doing my own work. So there's yeah. there's a quick answer. Well, yeah. Not to plug their courses again, but I will. Like that is exactly yes. why it exists is so that you can learn the tools so that you have them so that you don't feel like your kid is outgrowing you and outskilling you emotionally. Um, but um, there was something, oh, I, I was going to say it earlier. I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. It sounds like it it doesn't come naturally, right? It takes time. And sometimes like being in the space with other folks and sometimes almost like the, the humility of seeing your kid move beyond you to even get to that realization. What's, I wouldn't like, I have this dream that it doesn't take that long for folks to realize it such that they can get there quicker with less pain in the process. But sometimes you have to, the only way out is through. So like if, if parents listening to this then can learn from this experience that like maybe you don't have to wait until that time that your child is more emotionally regulated than you are to realize that maybe you need to do something differently, mm-hmm. like let that be the motivation. And sometimes that is what it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I use this metaphor sometimes with families that it's like a, a hanging mobile over a baby's bed. You know how it's like all kind of connected to itself. And if you kind of like touch one part, the rest of it is going to jostle in another area. So that's how families are. Like they're all connected. And if you move one aspect of it, the rest of it is going to move also. So you can move the child, the child can do their work and inevitably the family is going to shift. Other members of the family are going to respond differently. And you can also change in other individual members of the family, mom, dad, the couple, the, I, and I don't mean to be gender specific, the co-parent system. Um, you know, you can touch any of those aspects 
and the child will change. And if you are moving them all at the same time, that's going to be your greatest likelihood for quick change. But I will sometimes say to families who like are saying that they don't want to do the family work or that they don't think that that's necessary. I'm like, all right, touch, like you touch my hanging mobile in my office. And if you can make one part move without making the other part move, I'll let you off the hook. And <laughs> like, it's impossible. You can't. It's impossible to do. So, Oh, I love um, that. I love that metaphor. And I love what you're saying because I embody that. <laughs> Hello, parents. Thank you so much for joining me today in my part one interview with Laura. And don't worry, we will have her back next week with part two. So excited to hear more of what she has got to say. Such good things. Thanks so much for being here today. Bye-bye. Hey there. Thank you for joining me today. If you know a struggling parent, please share this with them. If you have any questions or want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Beth Hillman Coaching or through my website, BethHillmanCoaching.com. And remember, parents, the change begins with us. <laughs>